welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. I'm incredibly privileged to welcome our special guest today, Mark Homer. And over the next 30 to 40 minutes, you can get lots of information to understand the insights of a really successful entrepreneur. So, Mark, if you'd like to give us a little bit of background and introduce yourself, please. Well, hi. Thanks for inviting me on your uh, on your show, Mark. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of you. And I, I feel honoured to be here talking about, uh, talking about me and entrepreneurship specifically for young people because I haven't got any children yet but I know I'm going to be wanting to sort of pass the torch on when I get involved in um, in parenting and I meet a lot of young people and it it gives me a, a great sense of fulfillment to feel like I'm, I'm sort of sowing that seed to create an entrepreneur of the future so thank you so a bit of background I've been in this property space for about 15 years started buying probably things I shouldn't have done, hit upon a good model, small terraces around, mainly around Peterborough, which is in the East Midlands. Lots of people don't know where that is, but it's, it's probably an hour north of London. And over the last sort of 13 years, uh, purchased about in excess of 500 properties for, for ourselves, investors, you know, sold some. We now manage about 600. They're not all ours. And in that time, written five plus books a few of them are bestsellers, published, you know, by by some sort of big international names. And um, yeah, I've been in the last sort of three, four years, five years, actually, it's probably a bit more than that now, six years, been taking commercial buildings and then converting them into residential buildings. Uh, so they might be apartments and or sort of high-end rooms. And we're doing some service accommodation as well. So for me, I, I, I have sold units in the past, but I generally try and take existing buildings, convert them and then keep them for the long term, because I, I think that's just a great wealth building strategy. I've got a, um, a, a trading business, Progressive Property, which trains um, investors. We we have several thousand people that we train every year, 60 staff. That's been going since 2007. So we teach other people to do what we do as well. Great. A real wealth of business expertise in property and, and, and indeed in many of your business interests. And I know you've been a, a real inspiration to, to, to many people I know over, over the last decade or so. But that entrepreneurship, natural flair you obviously have for running many successful businesses, can you wind the clock back and any traits, any advice you were given? Where, where did that entrepreneurial spark first start for you? Well, I mean, my, my family weren't really entrepreneurial. My father worked abroad. He was, um, he was based in the Far East and Africa, and he was building sort of stations to, to, to make sure. He set up an MOT testing system in, in a couple of countries so that they could actually test, you know, people's cars and trucks and all the rest of it to make sure they were safe. And he worked for foreign governments, so he'd put water systems in and, you know, he'd, um, he'd be involved in a roads project. So he was doing all these kind of things around the world, but he was working for other people. But I got to see the world and I got to live a good life when I was in my, my earlier years. I went to the British school in Indonesia and then I came back to boarding school 
which at 13, it was a sort of cold winter. It was very tough, extremely tough. So I'd been used to sort of five servants in in the Far East and um, it wasn't like that when I got back. So there were, you know, pretty tough, almost like a military regime at school. And um, I ended up meeting quite a few other sort of kids who initially I didn't get on with because I was so different. I turned up in my sandals and um, sandals and shorts in September and sort of met them. And over a period of time, started to get to know them and their families. And because it was, um, you know, a boarding school and it cost money to go there, a lot of their families had got businesses, they'd done really well. And they got this sort of entrepreneurial DNA running through them from an early age because their dads were transmitting it to them. So, you know, as as I went through school, I, I, I you know, I realized I wanted all that stuff and I wanted that life and I wanted to be the entrepreneur. But um, that was really the early sort of experience that I got that taught me some of the basic lessons of, of getting into that sphere. And because I was 13, 14, obviously that, a lot of that rubbed off on me. And I sort of wanted it two or three times as much as my friends because they already had it and they were going to get past these businesses. So any lessons that sort of vicariously came through their fathers or, or you know, I'd be sitting there listening to their fathers when, when I was there at the weekends, I, I really sort of took it in and as soon as I could get involved in business and, and just start selling things and, 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 and making things and making money, I wanted to do it. So um, that's really where it started. Fantastic. So it wasn't just the advice or it wasn't just the, the individuals who had an impact. It was also the circumstances you had. You had to fend for yourself in your, your boarding school life at a relatively early age. That independence happened upon you very early. It did do. And um, it really it really toughened me up. You know, I probably spent the first six months crying, if I'm honest. And, um, you know, I think my mum thought the place was um, awful. You know, she still says it now that it did me some, some damage, you know, according to her. But but actually, there's another side to that. It makes you very independent and um, a lot less dependent on other people. You suddenly realise that um, you find a way to create this, uh, I don't know whether it's protection around you, uh, so that if uh, nobody's there anymore, you, you know exactly what to do and how to look after yourself. And it, it really sort of toughens you up. So, um, you know, I see that as I see that as quite a big benefit. And I, I look at my friends who went through that system and they're, they're similar. You know, some of my sort of later friends, may, maybe they've, you know, they've sort of had a, a softer time. And, uh, and in some ways that would have been nice, but I don't know, having to get up at sort of 5.30 every morning, you know, go running, you know, make your bed and, you know, church three times a week, congregational practice, you know, school uniform six days a week, you know, all, all that stuff if it's sort of tough earlier on, it makes your life maybe, makes your life maybe a little bit easier as, as, as you get on into, into later life. I guess that created a real acknowledgement into the power of creating good habits at yeah. a very early age. Absolutely. Discipline and, uh, and great habits, which I'm sure you got in the, the army, Mark. Um, I've noticed um, there's quite a few of you guys who've come out, you know, or, or out of the RAF and you, you're just so disciplined and you just get on with it and there's there's no nonsense and, and messing around and all this sort of time wasting tends to go out of the window. So, um, yeah, I, I do actually see a lot of benefit in that. Yeah, yeah. I think they had a relatively short time in the Territorial Army, but the self-belief, the confidence, the independence, and um, I'm not so sure that our our state system necessarily provides all those elements for us and for our younger entrepreneurs what are your thoughts on well it, it just feels a bit soft and i know that 
that might sound a bit mercenary and you know brutal but um sometimes you you need to be cruel to be kind and i think if maybe the state system was a bit tougher i don't know maybe it was a bit more germanic we're sitting here in the, the Mercedes uh, sort of, uh, I don't know if you call this a museum and we're Mercedes Brooklands for, for your event. You know, if it's a bit more Germanic or, I don't know, Japanese maybe, you look at the South Koreans, you know, they have a, a quite tough system and, you know, their, their, their state schooling is um, so much more successful and the results that the kids get from that at the other end is so much beyond what we have in the UK. I know, um, you know, my father certainly instilled that in me from an early age, how important these sort of systems are and how, you know, discipline's important and, um, you know, have, having rules, you know, it um, makes life a lot easier. And, and, and in the end, I think it, it creates success and a sort of more balanced individual. So over that time, could you share maybe one piece of advice that you were given or, or, or you've, you've learned, which has helped you time and time again over years that you could pass on to our audience? So I think one of the, the most powerful things in the world is, is the law of compounding. And it applies to all sorts of, um, all sorts of things in life. You know, if you get up in the morning, you get up uh, out of the right side of bed, maybe you exercise, maybe you eat well. Well, that compounds through the day and your results won't just be twice as good. They'll probably be three or four times as good because that, then that leads on, leads on to a sort of better situation later on in the morning. You'll probably end up, you know, making a hundred wise decisions that day rather than sort of 20 bad ones. And, and that will have a huge impact over time. And um, compounding is no more important than in the sphere of finance. We were just having a conversation about the importance of investing very, very early on for children, especially. And, you know, if you, if you start to make the right investments from a very young age, then the effect of that over time is absolutely massive. Warren Buffett often says that if you know, he wasn't around, you know, if, if his late wife was around, that he would just get her to invest all of the remaining money that she was um, in control of into a, a tracker fund, which tracks the S&P, the US sort of stock exchange. This tracker fund uh, is the biggest, uh, it's run by the biggest fund manager in the world, Vanguard, and it has extremely low fees. Now, you know, that might mean that they're taking maybe one or 2% less per annum. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but his rationale is that actually fund managers don't do as good a job as a tracker and they, you know, they tend to take lots of fees. So, you know, the likes of this Vanguard tracker, which is very, very low cost and probably has at least equal, if not better returns. But he, even if it doesn't have better returns, you're going to be one or two percent ahead every year because of the reduced fees. And the effect of that over time, that, that reduction in fees is huge over, say, a 40 or 50 or 60 year time span. And that is the power of, of compounding. And we were talking earlier on about him being worth in the low billions 25 years ago, and now he's worth 50 billion. And how most of the growth and most of the benefit has come in in later years. Again, that's compounding. That's him going to McDonald's and you know, buying a Coke and a, a 287 meal rather than sort of spending $100 every night on, on dinner. Yeah, I know that's a, a sort of extreme example, but he, he, you know, he'll drive a, a Lincoln Town Car instead of a, I don't know, a $100,000 Mercedes or, or Rolls Royce, you know, and he'll, he will apply that principle 
all the way through his investments and and his life. And um, over time, the the benefit of that, the benefit of compounding equals returns on returns. So, you know, that one or 2% that he saves every year might equal three or 4% the next year, but then it becomes eight, then it becomes 16, then it becomes 32, then it becomes, you know, 64. And it it just goes absolutely crazy. Certainly as you move on through the years, the, the benefit of that. So, you know, saving money is important, saving fees, but um, more than that is finding a great investment vehicle to create longer sustained results over over a you know a long period of time. So for me, you know, I I, I look for very high yielding investments, high yielding property investments that that create a lot of cash flow. A building that we finished at Christmas creates a, a gross yield of eighteen percent. Most property investments might be creating I don't know six or seven percent gross yield, something like that. The effect of that extra cash over time is huge. That's why I focus on those types of investments. That's absolutely fascinating and uh, really strikes a chord with me. The amount of funds that are held in children's savings accounts that we see, I see some incredibly good values there in, in terms of saving, but the strong habits that you've just identified there of buying low and, and of saving, but then leaving that savings dormant in an account I, I do question some of the, the values of just leaving money dormant and what that means to our younger generation. Are we teaching them to, to save money and then just to walk away from that money for 10, 15 years? And particularly with interest rates being, you know, sub 1% at the moment. Maybe that was a strategy at, at 12, 15% that, that our parents knew. But, um, so any areas where young people can start to invest and also feel that they're investing and creating those those habits in the future. Yeah, I, I think it's important to get them involved in the property sphere because although you know it may look a little bit more complicated, it probably isn't. And somebody of average intelligence like myself can get involved in small properties, understand it, feel it, touch it. And they can beat these sort of whiz kids in the city of London because it's a local business. You try and trade shares, you know, and day trade and all this other stuff, you're competing with the best minds in the world. Whereas when you're dealing with a little three-bed house, those people can't buy those necessarily because it's difficult to scale and it's difficult to do at arm's length. So you can, you know, at the coal phase, you can go out, you can find a little property, you can refurb it, add some value, get a good yield from it and rent it out. And I think it teaches the basic principles of investment to young people. And I think it's a great place to start. That's what I'll be doing with my kids. And I think, um, you know, another great way to start is for them to buy their own home. So get a house, get it in their name. Maybe you have to guarantee the mortgage. Somehow, maybe you need to put some deposit in, but you know they need to sort of have, have some skin in it as well. So I don't know whether they have a savings pot that goes in. Try and get it on a residential mortgage to get the rate down and reduce the size of the deposit. They move in and there's a couple of residential mortgages which will actually let them rent rooms out within the house. Uh, this is something that I saw with um, my some of my friends at school. They'd move in, rent the rooms out, and then use the rent to pay the mortgage. And you know, in that scenario, with mortgage rates as they are, they can very quickly get um, you know get the mortgage down by paying you know a good lump off through the rent and have some good cash flow. So, you know, they're, they're very much incentivized to make sure this rent's coming in to get the right tenants in the rooms. Obviously, the tenants are paying a sort of HMO bills included type rent. So there's extra cash flow there. And very quickly, we can be making three or 400 pounds a month or more on the rent 
and paying the mortgage down. And there's a rent-a-room allowance that the government offer to, you know, allow you to sort of take some of that rent and not pay tax on it, which is, you know, quite a big benefit. So I think that's a great way to start. And if the, if the property needs a bit of work, that's brilliant because, you know, the your son, daughter, or young person that you're helping can sort of get involved in 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 working out how to, to refurb it and keep the cost down and keep workmen on track and then get it furnished and, and move in. It'll give them that independence. Maybe they start when they're 18, give them that independence to, to, to move out and understand how to, to manage their money. And there's going to be issues and they're going to they're going to have problems along the way. But from an early age, that's really going to get them ingrained in, in that thinking. Back to your point earlier on, on, on independence, it's starting to get them think at an early age. I would suggest the, the work hard ethic, but also the work smart ethic. The example you just illustrated there, very good example where where that skill can compound up uh, as opposed to working however many hours doing your paper round. You're not going to be anywhere near that, the kind of returns that you've just mentioned. And they can be accessed at an early age for, for the young entrepreneur. Well, they can be. I mean, I mean they could even sort of get their own property before 18. I mean, put it in the parent's name and then do some sort of transfer when they're 18. So you could get them started earlier if they wanted to move out at, say, 16. But um, yeah, 18 would be pretty common. Another way to get that pot going would be to use a kid's ISA. I'm not sure what the limit is this year, but last time I looked, I think it was about 4,000. You can put in every year. The money goes in, it's tax paid money that goes in, but then any income tax that's generated, sorry, any income that's generated and any capital gain that's generated within that ISA is tax-free. So you can put money in from an early age, get them started. That could be the deposit for the first house. That compounds over time. There's lots of really good equity funds, which that money can go into. You know, maybe you pick a, a Vanguard tracker like Warren Buffett would. I quite like CF Woodford, you know, equity income, that sort of fund, you know, that gets invested in good sort of stalwart companies that are, have got a, a great, you know, track record and create good cash flows. And um, yeah, you could put that money to work for them from an early age and let it compound up so that when they're 18, it can go into something else that's, that's worthwhile and, uh, and, and have even a, a bigger sort of compound effect. So there is a, a view in society that our children should learn the hard way and that's what we had to do and they should do it the same. That's what my dad thought. So what are your views on giving our children a, a leg up, a, a start in life, whether that be financially or in skills? Well, I think you definitely give them the skills. You know, that comes, that's a given, that's free. I think it's very valid. They need a good education and they need a good sort of outside school education in in terms of entrepreneurship and business from you. I think that's very, very important. I think in addition to that, you probably do want to help them financially because there's a big compound effect for, for that, you know, in them. But um, you definitely do not want to be paying for everything because I think that, that, that gets them into a, a bad set of habits and probably doesn't get them to work. I mean, you know, my mum was very, very kind to me and she gave me some some brilliant skills early on. She was also pretty soft with me. And um, and in, in many ways, it took my dad to get me out and, and, and force me to get my first job because otherwise my mum would have sort of paid for everything. And my mum was, you know, just just trying to be loving and and, and trying to be kind and um, and trying to give me the, the best upbringing. And in many ways, she did do. But I also needed to go and get a job early doors. Yes, fine. Having a, a job in the long term probably isn't the way forward. But certainly in my early years, it, it taught me a lot in terms of discipline, in terms of, 
you know, getting out of bed, in terms of, you know, earning money, in terms of how hard the world of work actually could be and how much easier it could be, you know, having, having my own business and having these investments work for me. Makes you, you, you watch your money a lot more carefully because uh, you realize uh, if you lose that money, then um, you might be back to the world of work. And that's maybe uh, not, not a place that, um, that everybody wants to be. They'd probably want to be their own boss or, or lots of people do. Not everybody. Lots of people, you know, it, it works to be in that zone. One of my early jobs was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken in Peterborough. I was there on a Saturday. I liked it because they, um, they paid me £4.50 an hour and McDonald's was two eighty which was pretty good, but it was opposite the football stadium. And on a Saturday, it was heavy. And you can imagine the people that were coming in as well. They weren't all the most savoury characters and and they weren't the most polite. You know, I mean, I started on chips and times. So I was frying, uh, you know, frying chips and and, and dippers and, you know, sort of making sure they were all fresh and, 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 and there was enough supply. Over a period of time, I got put out on the till and I was serving customers, had to clean the restaurant. And that job went on for, you know, a good period. And I was very pleased that I got that job. And through university, I, I had a few other jobs. And then I went on a graduate scheme. It was a scheme that put me into a local business called Smurfit. Well, they're actually a sort of European business, but they had a, um, a local warehouse and, and production facility. And they, they made cardboard boxes and packaging. And that was, it was a, like a shell enterprise scheme which, um, you know, I got a lot from that. I did a couple of other work placements, um, which sort of pushed me on. But in between, I was going and, and, and finding clothes in China and sort of selling them in, in, in university. I was doing the odd bit at school. I was importing cars from, from Europe. So that, that really gave me a, a flavor of, of you know, how to make money on my own. So from, from an early age, if you look back, I mean, we, we, both appreciate entrepreneurship can be can be hard, can be can be tough, but you've got to make a start, and that that's stepping out, um, not procrastinating. So you've made a start very early in life at entrepreneurial ventures, be it your vehicles. Could you maybe recall one of your one of your greatest successes over the last uh, last fifteen years or so? you've grown? Well, I mean, my greatest success in terms of business has to be starting Progressive with Rob. We started that from a, you know, a cold start in 2007 and grown it to, you know, a turnover north of 10 million, 60, 70 staff. Sort of within that sphere, we've also got a letting agent that manages 600 units. You know, we, we, I think we do over 550 training days every year. We bought our offices, the training facility, all that sort of stuff. And then off the side of that, obviously built a portfolio, sourced a lot of properties for other investors as well. And uh, we do a lot of business and entrepreneurship training now and, and coaching and, and, and mentoring. So yeah, that, that's grown out of all of those principles. And then, you know, meeting Rob was a seminal moment in my life. You know, for me, it's always been about investment, about compounding, about, you know, making money out from investment vehicles. And I met Rob and, you know, he, he was he didn't really understand much of this when we started, but he worked so damn hard to become a brilliant marketer, to become one of the best presenters I know, to create a whole sales process, bring other trainers in and grow that training business into to what it is today. Reflecting on what you've just said and how that can really support the young entrepreneur of the future, understanding how they can enter into joint ventures and what qualities. We're not necessarily looking for like-minded people, 
to work with in all areas or having the likes, like-minded skills. And it sounds like you and Rob came from very different backgrounds. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I think the difference between Rob and I, one of the main differences is that he probably uses the other side of the brain to me. So he's very creative. He'd, he'd be sort of less facts, figures, you know, numbers based, but he'd be, um, you know, extremely good at, at creating a narrative and a, you know, sales process and a, a marketing vision, which people would buy into. And I, I, do you know what, maybe that is upbringing, but I think some of that's just genetic. I just think that he was born a different way to me. We've sort of gone through our lives and, you know, Rob didn't have, he had some sort of early good experiences in terms of school, you know, quite a lot of discipline. You know, he, he found it tough as well. I, I think his dad sent him to boarding school for a little bit. He doesn't, he's not always that um, sort of public about that, but he, he certainly had that. And as, as time went on, you know, it, it um, sort of went out the window in some ways. And then he came back to it when he was 26. So, you know, it, um, it's very important to be like that. Over the years, I've tried to start businesses with friends who are more like me. And most of those experiences have been unsuccessful because you end up sort of doing the same things every day and not complementing each other. You know, it's really important to be very different, have a, have a, have a different skill set, a complementary skill set. Therefore, you both bring value. But within that, it's very important to have similar vision and similar values. You need to be focused on wanting to get to the same place you need to be wanting to get the same things out of your business and you need to have similar values. And, and if those things align, then you may have a good business partnership. I think it's important once you've identified that to just test it, to go into business and to give it probably six months working with this person to see how you work together because there's nothing like just suck it and see, just testing it. I think lots of people sort of go in, you know, they do all the tests, they do all the, um, you know, oh, we're different with this, whatever, and they go into business and then they just realise they don't like each other uh, and then they've got a sort of big breakup a few months later. I think the testing phase is important. As entrepreneurs, sometimes we start ventures that maybe aren't as successful as others. Could you identify any areas that, that maybe failed or, or less than successful and and more what learnings have you then taken to enable future success from so in the early days of my property investing career i bought properties all around the world and i also bought some new builds and um, most of them weren't successful and um, so i bought in florida i bought in bulgaria i bought new builds in leeds um you know and and i think it was one in peterborough and what I found was I didn't really understand the asset class deeply enough. So the stuff I was buying abroad, the rents weren't what I expected. They were off plan, so they didn't get built. They weren't worth what I was paying for them. The one in Bulgaria, I think I paid €64,000 for it and sold it a few years later for €25,000. So I made a big loss on it and couldn't rent it in the meantime, even though I thought I'd be able to. Didn't understand the market. And what it taught me was that I needed to sort of rein everything in and invest locally and really understand what I was getting myself involved with and to work up to it in a granular way rather than sort of go and buy two here and three here. And because it, it was a heady time, you know, everyone was excited. It was 2003, 2004, 2005, you know, people were investing and making lots of money from capital growth. But of course it was short-lived. It wasn't, you know, something that was sustainable. And I, I learned some big lessons from that. So most of the stuff we buy now is existing. I always add value to it. You know, most of it, you know, we'll do a conversion or some sort of building project on it. 
I buy older buildings. There's they're a lot bigger. There's a lot more value I can pull out of them over a you know period of time, and I keep them local. Uh, so I can control them and manage them. And I like this sort of rinse and repeat model. So we'll try something new. I've always got my eye on something new, but you know I won't go in t- two feet first. I'll, I'll start it and I'll wait six months a year for it to show its face and to get the income and to work out actually what happens. And then I'll do another, a bigger one, and then I'll do a bigger one and I'll just sort of keep going like that rather than um, looking at something, doing all the numbers and, and then sort of diving in and buying loads of them without understanding what the problems are and, and making five mistakes rather than buying one, learning all the mistakes and then sort of fixing them and then buying four more that are good investments. I think that's very, very important. I think the other sort of at the other end of the spectrum, I think it's important to get started. Um, You touched on something there, Mark, uh, which is really important. I think lots of people procrastinate. I procrastinated for many years over many investments. They don't want to make a mistake. I think it's important to get started on something small to test, to see how it works with you. Because just because it works for other people, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to fit with your, you know, your personality, your mindset and what you understand. I think that's really important. And I think the ready, fire, aim principle is so important. You're not going to have everything sorted. You're not going to know everything you need to know. You're going to learn that along the way. And that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. Surround yourself with positive people, people who want to help you, not people who you know, want to sort of scrutinize your investments and, and, and be negative about them. So you know, I had to cut quite a few people out of my life uh, when I started our business because uh, I found they were quite negative about what I was doing. And then over a period of time, I just introduced them to the, you know, to what I had done and what I'd achieved because that sort of helped push me on. So, you know, the ready, fire, aim is very, very important. You know, it doesn't matter if you you sort of start on something as long as it's small and you realize you've got to change tack, change direction. That's all part of the process. But trying to get all your ducks in a row before you invest. Yes, do as much research and diligence as you can beforehand. But there's, there's only so much of that you can do. And a lot of the experience and a lot of the learnings and the, you know, that imprinting of the, the, the principles come through actually doing it and actually, you know, having that experience over and over that, that embeds it and imprints it into your psyche so that you, you instinctively know when another investment of a similar type comes along, you know what to do. Your gut tells you what to do. I think that those instinctive qualities, we're not born with them. They, they come from experience and great advice there for, for young entrepreneurs or indeed for, for, for parents raising and inspiring young entrepreneurs. You're making that start and, and as seeing failure differently. Society doesn't necessarily judge failure as a, as a positive thing, but failure is part of, of evolution on a path towards something better rather than, as you said, procrastinating and, and waiting for perfection to present itself, which, as we all know, I think perfection is is unattainable. Perfection absolutely is unattainable. I think lots of people sort of strive for perfection and are continuously disappointed. They're in a, in a state of disappointment because they haven't achieved what they're, they're expecting. And expectation is one of the most important things to sort of living your life. If you can live a life where you, you know, you have gratitude and you're, you're sort of grateful for the results you've got and you're grateful for what you've got and you're, 
you know, you focus on what you are achieving. I know sometimes I find that difficult because that's not always my natural state, but it is important to be in that state and, and to be in that place. If you can be grateful about what it is you're, you're doing and what you're sort of focusing on and, and you know, you're, you're probably not going to be disappointed. And if you're in that state of disappointment, you're going to be less inspired. You're going to have less good ideas. You're going to be less, you know, you're not going to be as happy and you're not going to be able to function to the same, you know, level that you would ordinarily be. And I, I think, you know, if you see failure and you see investments or, or business challenges and issues in that light, you know, where you, you sort of think to yourself, well, it hasn't worked. I need to change direction. I need to change what it is I'm doing, you know, and, and sort of change the change tack, you know, move my sail around onto something else. You see that as all part of the learning and moving forward and getting you closer to your goal. Therefore, failure can be a positive thing. I think if you see it in that light, then uh, you're probably going to be a lot happier and more successful. And if we can, I guess, teach our children that uh, failure is, is not a bad thing whilst they're young, and the, the sums involved are quite small, and that could be allowing them to maybe make unwise purchases in, in pocket money. A lot better to do it with five or ten pounds rather than wait till you, you buy a house uh, <laughs> on the wrong terms later in life. So, yeah, starting young really gives benefits, doesn't it? Um, which then compound that learning over time. So looking back, in hindsight, what advice would you give your younger self yeah, you see, that's that's a tough one, isn't it? So if I was looking back at a younger version of myself and, um, you know, this is quite personal, isn't it? Personal to the, the, the mistakes that you, you feel like you've made. I'd probably sell, tell myself just to chill out a little bit, not sweat the small stuff in such a big way. I'd probably be more in the zone of sort of testing and seeing failure as, as, as not a bad thing. I'd probably change some of my friends earlier and just get around people who, you know, see failure as, as, as something positive, who aren't constantly sort of being competitive and, and you know, uh, maybe backbiting and all that sort of stuff, because that can be difficult for, for especially young people who are starting out. You know, maybe they're surrounded by kids who have parents who are not from an entrepreneurial position, or maybe they're, they're just not particularly encouraging or, or, you know, positive about what they're doing. So I think you need to sort of surround yourself with five brilliant people. I think you become the sum of those those people who are around you. I think you need to hang out with those people more and get into that zone. And uh, I think it's important, you know, if you're if you're going to be starting out as a younger person to get yourself alongside with those who've actually done it, those who have been successful and and clearly been an entrepreneur for for a good few years rather than taking advice from those who want to give it but don't necessarily understand what they're talking about. They might think they do. They usually do think they do. But the reality is they've sort of, I don't know, read it in a newspaper or maybe in a book. And uh, they're inherently probably more negative. And uh, they haven't sort of lived that life themselves. Therefore, they're, they're giving bad advice. And it's very important to filter and to take advice from the right people and to, to be able to identify who those right people are and who they're not. You know, there are lots of entrepreneurs that have helped me, lots of people who made money in business over the years who had a big influence on my life. And I would take information and, and sort of learn, learn stuff from them about how to be good in business. But I might not necessarily listen to them when they're talking about how to eat more healthily or, you know, how to exercise properly. 
You need to be able to filter the information and understand the information that you're getting and, and, and work out who it's coming from and then you decide whether to take it on board or not. As parents and, and carers of children, either now or in the future, have you got any views on when is the, the right time to start planning your child's financial future? As early as possible. You know, I, I think uh, perhaps before they're born. You know, get that. I just think get that. Um, Hargreaves, Lansdowne have a great little child's eye so that you can open. I think get it in, you know, start start putting money into it because of the compound effect as early as possible. And then, you know, right from an early age, you want to take them around your developments, take them into sort of business meetings and take them around properties and get them in a business environment, get them feeling it, touching it. So it's become second nature. I think that's very important. You know, that's that's something that I will certainly be doing because um, you know, children's brains are like jelly when they're young. They absorb everything and it's so much easier to ingrain those good habits from an early age rather than, you know, sort of uh, maybe modify or, or reform somebody later on, you know, when they become an adult and their brains are, are more set, they're set in their ways and it's difficult to, to relearn or more difficult to relearn old habits. I mean, you know, if you are sort of further on and you feel like, you know, you're, you're ready to accept change because that's the most important thing, of course you can change your habits. Of course you can, you know, become an entrepreneur and of course you can start living the life that you want. It just takes more work and more effort the older you are, I think. So if people would like to know more, have you got any valuable access to, to resources that have had a profound impact to you that, that you'd recommend to, to young entrepreneurs or aspiring young entrepreneurs in the future? One of the seminal moments in my life was when I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That is a brilliant book. All businesses, all investments, you know, they're all about people. And if you can influence people and you can get alongside them and you can make them feel good, because that's what people remember, how you made them feel, you're much, much more likely to end up with a, a positive outcome. Maybe you get to do the investment with you. They're probably with them. They're probably going to share more with you and they're probably going to trust you more. And they're just going to want to be around you and do business with you. I used to think it was all about sort of facts, numbers and, you know, what you knew rather than who you knew. And I think that book really changed that thinking for me. And I started to work on lots of, um, lots of you know, parts of my personality and to sort of improve the way that I dealt with people after reading that book. So I think it's a very valuable read for younger people. And I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Obviously, I've, I've written a few books myself. I mean, Low Cost High Life is, um, is a book that sort of charts my early, early days and how I became an entrepreneur and then you know, how I've, um, how I've, a lot of those principles that have pushed me through since are covered in that book. And I've written another book called Uncommon Sense, which is all about business, about sort of taking the road less traveled and about how we, how lots of people sort of think business is about X, Y, and Z. But the reality is I think it's about A, B, and C, something else. So how can people find out more about the great work you're doing and how you're inspiring people within uh, your business and the community you serve. Uh, and obviously, I'm conscious of, of your own highly successful podcast. So maybe you could tell us how you how we can keep in contact with you. Yeah, so my podcast is called Mark My Words. That's on Apple. Uh, you can download it. You can also get it on Stitcher. If you type in Stitcher and Mark My Words into Google, uh, you'll be able to download that onto pretty much any device. So you'll be able to hear my podcast and interview loads of people on there loads of sort of big business people, uh, Gerald Ratner on there, 
More recently, I've had quite a few tax accountants on there about how to um, you know, restructure your property portfolio. You know, I've, I've had experts in the in the field of sort of health, wealth, and happiness on there, and um, quite a few property people who you may or may not recognise. Um, so that's mark my words. That's out uh, usually on a, a weekly basis. I, I do a podcast. I've also got a, a website. It's www.progressiveproperty.co.uk. That's www.progressiveproperty.co.uk. You can see, you know, sort of what I'm up to on there and um, a lot of our events and and, and training are are all on that website too. Thank you. I'm sure many of our our audience will be be making a beeline to to those valuable resources. Thank you. So if there's one piece of advice that you could leave our audience with today who are either wanting to be a young entrepreneur or raising a young, young entrepreneur, maybe you could share one piece of advice. To, to close the, the show? I think it's very important to be positive, to have a, a really positive mental outlook. And uh, I think as part of that, something that I learned later on was learning about your, your body and how to set yourself up to, to have that positivity and that energy and, and to get your mind in the right place through the day. So, you know, for me, that was exercise and eating properly. They were, were, were absolutely massive. And then the third thing, and I sometimes struggle with this when, you know, I've got a lot on, is sleep. I think it's, it's really important to get that sort of seven or eight hours sleep every night, you know, because that coupled with eating properly and exercising, I, I believe in the morning, you know, that, that's when I do it. My results are infinitely better when I get a, a, gra- a good grip of those three things. You know, they, 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 I produce so much more uh, and so much more of value, you know, and I, I feel inspired and I, I feel like I'm really living rather than just sort of plodding through the day and, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and just getting stuff done because I have to. Well, on the, on the subject of, of value, you've given a huge amount of value to the audience. I'm extremely grateful that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to share that with with Inspiring a Young Entrepreneur podcast. So, Mark Homer, thank you very much for your time. Hugely appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.